Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. I don't have anything against painting from life, painting from picture, painting from imagination. I think ultimately what matters the most is are you able to express yourself? Are you able to communicate your vision? Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic ideas you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with watercolorist Yang Hong Zhang. In the conversation, you'll learn the one thing Zhang says you need to have figured out before you start painting, advice for getting looser, and questions to ask yourself to find your painting's story. In the extended cut bonus available at the Podcast Art Club, You'll learn the yellow, red, and blue Zhang suggests for a limited palette, and he gives you ideas for where to focus if you feel like you don't yet have a strong sense of color. Take a listen by joining the podcast art club over at Patreon at any tier. For show notes and to sign up for the newsletter list, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 71. All right, here we go. Hi, Yang. Welcome to the podcast. How did you get started in art? Did you go to art school? It goes way back. When I was very young in China, I love art. And when I came to the U.S., I followed that and went to art high school in New York, art college, and then followed my path to work for Disney. You went to school for illustration, right? You ended up majoring in illustration? That's correct. I went to Pratt Institute in New York, went there for major in illustration, but I didn't end up doing illustration. I ended up doing animation for a long time. How did that illustration, and then also how did Disney help you become a better painter? They all related. Our experience in life, it's all related, but it's just some people prefer to be a writer, a painter, or a dancer, poet. I felt like I'm drawn to images, visual images. So I went to an art school because I enjoy painting. And so I think that led to doing art, had a good portfolio, and then ended up working for Disney. And even working for Disney in animation, it's still the same storytelling. That aspect of art is all related in our life. It sounds like you're saying that helped you hone your interest in storytelling. Did it also give you foundational tools that you could use to be a painter? Yes, the art school actually provides very good foundation stuff. They teach you like drawings and painting, all the things that you need to know to be a good artist. Just like uh, any actor or anything that you want to pursue, having a good foundation really helps you to do whatever you wanted to do a lot easier. Well, then how did you find watercolor specifically? Watercolor, it's just another medium. I'm also an oil painter as well. So each medium is different, but I start painting watercolor in my younger years and then get into oil and then went back to watercolor. I think it's just a medium that I feel comfortable. It's easy access. I think specifically it goes back to when I had my two boys when they were younger, we were on road trips and I did not want the fume to affect my kids. So I would actually start it, switch to watercolor. But other than that, I mean, I think that little 
outside of what we're talking about, but I enjoyed the medium a lot, just like any other medium. What does watercolor allow you to do that oil maybe doesn't allow you to do? Each medium is very different. Watercolor in particular, growing up in China, I did quite a bit of calligraphy growing up. So I am able to incorporate the way I write calligraphy. And that is not possible in oil because oil is a thick medium. and It doesn't have the transparency. The feel is very different. Again, it's just a different preference. I, I happen to be able to just relate to watercolor a little bit better. Well, then you were working for Disney. Were you developing those watercolor skills in tandem with working full time? And how how did you sort of create time for learning those skills while being a parent, while having a full time job? Watercolor is a medium that it's very easy to access. Like you do not need to worry about a wet painting. Like when it's dry, it's very easy to carry that thing around. You could take it out. And the setup is extremely easy. It takes just minutes for you to set up and clean up. So that makes everything a lot easier to work with. And therefore, even working at Disney, it was just something that, oh, it's quick. If I go out for lunchtime, if I could just, because it's so easy to be able to, to get all that and start painting, it actually ended up become more like, oh, actually I go with watercolor. And so over time, this just it's just a much easier medium for me. And for a lot of the oil painter, there's a lot of issues. You have to deal with wet paints. You have to deal with solvents and all those cleaning up. It's very difficult. So I think I, I am more of a watercolor nowadays because it's because of the way it's so easy to work with. But in terms of being an artist, I feel like watercolor is very different than oil because simply because it's, it's just a much quicker medium, meaning it doesn't allow you to linger on it. And it allows you to be a lot more expressive where I feel like in oil, it doesn't give me that. Was there a point when you decided, I want to get really good at watercolor? I want to get really good at, want to be an artist. I think that drive and then that question will answer is like, oh, then which medium do you like? And I'm naturally like drawn to the, the medium. So when you, oh, I want to be an I want to be a good painter. And and after that even goes a step further back is that you step back, and say, oh, why do you want to paint that? Then you say, oh, well, because I have something to say. I have a an idea that I want to share with people that don't exist in my head. So therefore, having that idea then, oh, okay, well, is it better to watercolor or is it better with other medium or, or drawing? Over time, you just, you automatically like, oh, you know which medium works best. And for me, it's just watercolor. It's just very easy for me to be able to express what I wanted to say. So we're going to talk about materials. Clearly, you use watercolor. Are there types of pigments? Like, do you generally work with mostly transparent or do you have granulating pigments on your palette? What kind of pigments are on your palette? I use very limited palettes. I use a warm and cool of each of the primary colors and just a few other ones. And yes, the pigment that I use, actually, it's a combination of some transparent and some more semi, more granulated pigment, because I like to have a little bit of both. So therefore, to be able to combine all that, know the behavior of your pigment is very important. So I do use both. And the reason I use a limited palette is because I want to mix all my color. And because I use limited color, I really have a good understanding of what each color does what. And so therefore, it makes the painting process even more quicker and more decisive. 
Is that important for you to look for ways where you can make your process more quick and more decisive? With painting, you constantly fight it. Like you have an idea of what you want to share, what you want to say, and oftentimes, because it, a writer can jot down some ideas for us, it's like we really need to nail down the idea to kind of capture the feel, the ideas that you want to. So for me, if you wait too long, it, that idea may change. So therefore, really know what you want to say, and as quickly as possible, try to get down the essence of it, and then go back and polish that. Right, and if you're struggling with thirty different colors on your palette, that might get lost. Yes. Yep. Do you lay out your colors fresh every time, or do you work with cakes? I use mostly tube paints, but I usually have plenty of pigments available. I don't want to like squirt out a little drop. I like to have plenty of paint available, so therefore I, I lay out a lot. But then every time when I'm out painting, I don't finish whatever I put out, so therefore it dries. In that case, I don't get rid of it. I don't clean my palette, so I just leave it. I keep the same setup, and every time when I go back to painting, and I know. When it dries, it gets a little bit more difficult. So I usually use a sprayer to spray my palette a little bit to kind of moist the, the paint. By the time I'm ready to paint in ten, fifteen minutes, there's no difference between like a wet paint out of the tube or dry. So it it works the same way. Watercolor is actually very flexible. You can reactivate it easily. Right, but it's important that it is has some softness to it before you start painting. Yep, because if you do not do that, if you don't moist your paint, and if you want to get that intense color, it's very difficult. So if you just spray your palette like fifteen minutes before you start painting, it allows the water to penetrate and just loosen up the the pigment. It's going to be a lot easier. What paper do you use? Like cold press, warm press, and the weight? I use all three, but I find myself using mostly cold press the most. But I switch back and forth between all the three: the hot press, cold press, and rough. These are the three types of watercolor paper that they're common, no matter which brand that you use. And also, speaking of brand, I think each brand of watercolor paper is different. The、uh, the manufacturer, the way they make the paper, it's a little different. And I tend to use one or two manufacturer mostly because I understand how the paper behaves. And like I said, if you understand the behavior of your paint, like how much you can lift pigment from the paper and the absorption of the water, all those things will help you understand and make better decision when you're actually painting. Are you using one forty or three hundred or both? I'm going to say ninety percent of the time I use one forty, three hundred. Maybe because it's nice, but it feels it's so expensive, and I'm hesitant to use it. But I feel like the ninety pound is a bit too thin for me because I I use a palette knife. I scrape things out, and so sometimes I might be a little too aggressive. So I have a few incidents where I actually mess up the painting, rip the paper. So I think one forty is a good happy medium. And then, what brushes do you use? But almost more importantly, what do you want from those brushes? So traditionally, like the traditional watercolor mop or the synthetic、uh, watercolor brushes, I use those from time to time. But I would say seventy percent of the time, I use those Chinese calligraphy brushes. The brush is a little different. The design is a little different. What's the best way I can describe this? So between the root and the tip, the hair is the same length. So therefore, it can be a flat at the same time. It could be a round, depending on how you use it. So I often use my brush like the way I would write calligraphy, 
And also this allows different type of lines and washes that you could generate with one brush. So it's very versatile. And also it has a very kind of a calligraphic feel to that. That's something that I kind of like the look that I, I feel like, oh, that's how I would like to see it. We're going to move into process. How many paintings do you work on at once? Or do you bring one painting to completion sort of start to finish? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So this is different for every artist. For myself, I like to start a painting and not necessarily finish that one painting in one session. And oftentimes, maybe multiple sessions. And sometimes it could be as long as one or two years. If I work on a painting, I feel like, oh, it's not going the, the way I want it. And I would just kind of stop and let it sit somewhere in the studio. But most of the time, I I do have an idea. I like every painting I start, I know what I wanted to say. And some of them are easier to accomplish. Sometimes it's like when you get into that zone, it's like you're done, like with a couple of strokes, you're done. But some painting takes a lot longer. The process takes a lot longer. And so I'm okay with that. Painting is not very predictable. Each painting is unique. And therefore, as much as you plan that, I do have a plan but oftentimes plants may not work out. So, and therefore I have to put it aside or work on it multiple sessions. Well, that sounds like then you really pay attention to like, you're aware of how you're feeling about the painting. And then if you're not feeling it, you don't try to push through that. You put it aside. Yes. So I think every painting before you even pick up a brush and even like the, the minute that you you notice something, you're like, oh, I want to paint that apple. I want to paint a portrait of that person. I think that initial, it, it almost feels like that joy, it just excites you. It's like, oh, that's it. Remember that feeling. Remember that that is something that you like. And then stop and think about what is it about that I like and identify that because that will most likely drive that painting the whole way through. At least that's for me. Because that is the vision, the story behind you want to share. What do you like about that apple? Or if you're doing a portrait of your parents or, or your grandmother, remember, what is it about your grandmother? Really think about everybody's story is different. And therefore, it's very important to identify that feel that you want. Is that then how your process begins? It's looking for those moments that capture you? So yes, that is the moment that drives everything. If you are standing, looking at a sunset, and you know, like, is it about the feeling or the people around you or the light hits the mountains or, or the buildings? And you know what touches you. And that is the thing that urge that you want to capture that. And if you do not know, if you do not know that, all you are doing is trying to copy what's in front of you. But if you know, if you identify that, it will be so easy your brain will have no problem giving you the, okay, this is what you need to do next. This is the, so it's, it's like identify where you want to go and then go, uh, you know, hop on a car, do all that stuff. How important is it for that to be one thing or can it be many things? Like how focused does that story need to be? It does not have to be very specific. And I told a lot of my students, hey, you do not need to be a screenplay to be a good painter. All you need to do is identify that. And it's not like you need to sit down and write a story. It's just now you are aware 
if I'm doing a portrait of my grandmother, I know my grandmother's look. I know my grandmother's behavior. I know how she would do certain things, her gestures and all that, the feeling about her. And then from every decision that I'm going to make, my grandma's very, you know, feisty. And like, I need to put in that, the color of the composition, all those things will drive that. And because you have that story, you want to to say, you want to share with your audience. What I hear you saying is that using the grandmother example, like if your grandmother is feisty and super talkative, that might be different decisions than if your grandmother is quiet and contemplative and shy. Right. So that decides once you identify that, oh, maybe I'll use some brighter color. Maybe I'll use something, you know, the way I post her, maybe she's looking at me in such a way or the composition will be different. Maybe she's standing or, or if she's quiet, she might be sitting on a chair. Maybe she's quoting something. So once you have that story, it just fills in the missing part. But if you do not have that, you, even your grandmother is in front of you, you are trying to match that. You're trying to copy that. And, and so that's the difference. I can't say enough of how important it is to identify that in the early stage of your painting. Often as artists, we have a feel, like we can tell we're attracted to something or we can tell that like our skin is tingling and we're excited. But that's different than being able to name the light on that tree against that river is beautiful at sunrise. So if someone is having a hard time translating a general feeling to a specific story, how would you suggest someone help themselves find that story? That's an excellent question. So oftentimes we just like a certain way, but oftentimes it's very subconscious. So it's just having that awareness and the easiest way to do that, just jot down a couple of words that describe like, oh, I'm happy. Why? Oh, it's the color or is it, oh, the person next to me. If you ask the, the questions, it's amazing. Your brain will actually know like, oh, but if you don't ask, it's just something that we're not used to. Especially artists, we keep everything to ourselves. We internalize everything. But if you get used to the habit of just jot down a word or two, and that is enough to kind of give you that nudge that you can continue. Once you have an idea of the story and I keep using the word story. Is that the right word to use there? Like once you have the story? Story, visions, ideas, those are all the same thing. Like it's difficult because I cannot see what is behind somebody's mind. But when you, see, you look at a picture of a building or a church or a portrait, we all can see that. And our interpretation might be different, but we need to have that idea to start. It's much more difficult. It's very abstract. But once you identify that, it's like a thing that comes out from a fog. It's just slowly revealing itself. Well, then once you have a story in your mind, are there a general set of steps you walk through to work through a painting? This is the easy part. I told my students, this is the easy part, right? Like once you know what you want to say, once you, you have an idea, the rest is actually a lot easier. So the first thing to do is identify what is it that you want to say. And then the next thing is simplify what is it that you are going to say, because just like building a structure, you got to have a foundation. So it's the same thing in painting. Simplify what is it your vision? What is your dark tone, mid tone and light tone? The three values that I talk about all the time. So when you look at that, you say, hey, that's a light tone. That's a mid tone. That's a dark tone. That's easy, right? Like there's no if buts about it. You know it. You can see it and there's no mistake about it. 
So therefore, when you simplify that, it's much easier. You can see that, and then that will be the value structure of your painting. And then one more step, you break those bigger three tones into smaller tones, so that way you can build your painting from general to specific. Then, do you do any value studies or compositional sketches between the idea realization? Like in that simplification stage, do you do anything physical, or do you teach your students to do anything physical to help them have that plan? Yes. So usually, you come up with ideas. The the common thing is, oh, you look at life, you like a certain scene, or you you took a photo of that, or or you use the imagination. And then you are doing a value study, a small value study with just minimum amount of details, just your dark tone, mid tone, and light tone, and then some of the composition arrangement. So those are the things that you can look at that without any details, without any of the specifics. You can look at that even in an abstract way, and oh, do I like the composition? And then if you like it, then you could flesh that out and start building on that. So this way, I use an example. If you're building a structure, you start out with the foundation, and then you build all your plumbing and all those things, and then you're gonna go to the next step to put all the light and fixtures, and then then you do your doorknobs at, at the end. Very end. It's a lot more easier to approach a painting like that rather than looking at a finished painting and it's like, how do you start? Do you do any color studies as part of that? Depending on the size of the painting, if I am doing a commission piece that my client does not have any idea, and I need to give them a good idea. Okay, this is what the finish would look like. The look and feel. Usually, I start out with some a reference photo or sketches, and then I would do a value study. From a value study, then I would do a color key. And then I'll show them along the way, so there won't be any surprises. Like, okay, one finished painting. What if you're not happy with? And so this will actually be able to give you a much better, or more predictable result if you approach a painting that way. What is a color key for folks who might not be familiar with that? A color key is basically okay. Pretend this. Okay, if you take a photo with any digital camera, and all you do is just blur everything out with no details. All you see is just patches of color, and that is the, really the essence of that. But you know, in painting, you don't have the luxury of the other way. You always have to construct that, right? You start out with your your dark tone, mid tone, and light tone, and then you try to work out the color and to be able to trust that your color will be able to express whatever story that you want to say. And this is the part that a lot of artists are afraid. Because they thought, oh my God, if I simplify so much, I'm gonna lose whatever that I have to say, and, and then therefore they start putting more, a lot more detail. So the idea of the color key is just—it's more like an outline of a a book or something. So you work from both references and you work plain air. How does this process look when you're in plain air? It's very simple. There is no different a painting from photo reference or in plain air. And plein air, I think it's a lot more challenging simply because there are a lot of factors that you have to think about. The light's constantly changing. There's everything you look at. The detail is just so much that it's overwhelming. And then everywhere you look, it can be a potential painting possibility. So therefore, you really need to look around, and you can try this on your own. Like go to a new place, you look around, you know there's something that. You like something that attracts you, something that catches your attention, and most likely that is 
the direction you want to go. And then you just have to follow up and say, oh, look at that. What, why do I like that? Oh, maybe it's the way the light hits it. And then you start asking those questions. Ah, oh, it's maybe because I've been to in, in there before. It reminds me about something. So these are the things that, that you start asking questions and all that's going to feed you in like, oh, if I'm going to paint that, what is the best composition to tell that story? And then again, once you identify that, everything's going to be easy. It's just now I got to simplify that. I got to do one step at a time and, and approach your painting this way will make your painting a lot more enjoyable rather than just going out there, looking around and just whatever. Like it's much easier because if you do not know, it's like driving a car without direction. When you are painting plain air, do you work purely from life or do you take photos? I start out doing plain air, not competition. Like I just enjoy how much I can get out of doing plain air. But at some point, I started doing plein air competition. And oftentimes, competition organizers, they have a specific requirement. Some of them said, as long as you did 80% of it or the 20% doesn't matter. And then there are some that are very strict. I'm not kidding you. I was in one of the meetings and it was raining. And somebody asked, can I paint inside a sunroom or whatever? And they said, well... It's indoor. So ultimately, they said, well, you have to be outdoor. So I don't have anything against painting from life, painting from picture, painting from imagination. I think ultimately, what matters the most is, are you able to express yourself? Are you able to communicate your vision? If you can, using purely imagination, good for you. You know, If you want to do entirely in plein air, that's your choice. As an artist, I just need to see the end result. When you're working toward that end result, how do you move in your process from light, mid-tone to dark? I know right off the bat, I know my dark tone, mid-tone, and light tone. And start from there. I identify my light tone, mid-tone, and dark tone already. So all I need to do is just go in there and approach the way that I mentioned about color keys and blur out those images. It's that simple. Like I know I need to follow the value study. And with watercolor, for the most part, we start painting from light to dark because it's much easier. Once it's too dark, it's much more difficult than the other way around. And I know oil and other medium, they go the other way. They work from dark to light. But in watercolor, we want to preserve the light of the paper as much as possible. So to answer your question, my value study kind of helped me to know, make decision. Okay, I'm painting my light tone now. And then I'm done. I'm painting my mid tone now. And then I'm going to paint my dark tone. So it's uh, very methodical. But at the same time, I'm very flexible as well. Like sometimes certain things require me to paint my mid tone first. So it's having that plan in the beginning and then work your way from there. For that light tone, when you're thinking about light tones, are you looking at the local color and going from there? Or what are your goals for that light tone? That's really a good question because some people say, well, sometimes certain things look really light and then certain things look really dark, but then it's under the sun, then that thing becomes lighter or, or a mid-tone. So I encourage everybody, if you're a painter, don't worry about the light and shadow part. Don't worry about local color. Don't worry about all that. All you need to think about is think about which area is your light tone, 
which area is your mid-tone, which area is your dark tone. And then once you identify those, everything is easy. So within the light tone, there are variations. It's not just one tone. You could break the light tone into a subcomponent of three. Maybe you could break the light tone into three values instead of, instead of one. But I say this a lot. If you identify all the big shapes, the small shapes are going to fit into the big shape. So you don't need to worry about it. Your big shape is in the right place. The smaller shape will automatically fit into that big shape. It's not that big of a deal for me to have everything lined up. All I need to make sure is where the major shapes are, my light tone, mid tone, and dark tone. And then the small detail will kind of fit in there easily. But you're not just throwing down color indiscriminately. So are you thinking about warm and cool? Are you just thinking about variation in general? Or what what does that dance look like? So within the light tone, there is a lot of things that you have to consider. And not only you have to think about the color, you have to think about temperatures, warm and cool. And that is actually one of the most important things to look at. Like one color, even a red, a red can be a light tone, mid tone and a dark tone, but a yellow cannot be a dark tone. Because by the time you get to your yellow, you lost the property of yellow already. It's just very difficult to get. But then you can get a relationship by using color next to it, make it look like the color of yellow. And this is, again, a very long discussion on that. But once you identify your light tone within that light tone, you can shift that because as long as they're in a similar value, it is not necessary to, to be 100%. That light tone can be slightly on the light tone or a light medium or light dark. So that way it will give you a lot of a latitude. So you could shift that color a little bit higher or lower or warmer and cooler. So color is actually extremely easy and, and difficult. And I tell my students, don't worry about color. Get the right value. Everything is going to be fine. And color is something that's much easier if you understand your value. Value does 90, all the work, color just take all the credits. I don't know who said that, but I've used that so many times already. But that is very, very true. And think about it. Look at Ansel Adams' photograph. It's black and white, but you can see, almost see color because of the composition. Everything was just so strong. You don't even need color. Like I, I cannot even imagine seeing a an Ansel Adam color photo. It's all black and white, but it worked, right? So that says it's not the color. It is the value. How important for you, I mean, every wash, but especially in thinking about those lights, how important is it for you to get it right the first time? Or do you sort of plan that you'll go back and change a bunch of things? Or are you trying to sort of nail it on the first pass? If I can nail in the first pass, I'd try that. But that's just a order. I mean, oftentimes you don't get it, it because you're dealing with a lot of things happening at the same time. So in an ideal situation, I like to have everything the first round I put down. I don't need to go back in. But there are times, you know, pretty often that certain things that you put down is a little too light and you go back in and you put a glaze over it or, or the color is just not quite work well. And, and you might just put a wash to kind of harmonize the whole thing. So there's going to be a lot of back and forth. But in the real world, you have to think about, okay, your story, right? Your vision, right? 
And then you, you have all these details to suppress and what to leave out, what to put in. So all those things are happening at the same time. So it's okay if you don't get everything right. But knowing that you can always go back and lighten certain area if you have to, or darken certain areas if you have to. Watercolor is very forgiving. It's not like once you put it down, it's done. It's not like that. It's very forgiving. And there are a lot of things out there. The magic eraser, have you have you guys heard of that? Oh my God, that that's crazy, right? Like that's something that I never thought possible. But hey, that's something that I never used that when I was in school. Actually, yeah, we have never talked about it on the show. So could you explain just what it is, but then how watercolorists use it? So I don't know about the longevity. I don't know what kind of chemical they put in there. But you know what? Hey, Magic Eraser is one of those house cleaning products that you can buy at like Home Depot or one of those kitchen, whatever, supermarket. So basically, it's just some sponges that has some kind of detergent. I don't know what it is. I actually, I'm afraid to know. But if there's an, a big area that you just like, oh, you're not happy with. So all you have to do is wet your sponge and just kind of rub that as if you're doing a cleaning a table or something. And it's amazing what you can do with that. You can actually get almost to the white of the paper. I mean, some pigments are much more difficult. The, the staining like phthalo blue or some of those color, no matter what you do, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> but that's that is knowing what your pigments are doing. But I think for the most part, I encourage my students to not be afraid of, you know, hey, watercolor is very forgiving. If you think watercolor is not forgiving, try work on uh, rice paper. I, I don't know if you guys have, but like rice paper to me, you have only one chance to do it. You get it or you don't get it. If you don't get it, just do another one. Like that's my attitude. Now, even with watercolor, I am going to go in there with the attitude that every stroke that I put down it is correct. And if it's not correct, I'm going to make the other stroke to work with an existing wash. If someone is starting out and they're trying to focus on the story, but then they keep kind of running into like, well, how do I tell that story? Are there any just sort of like foundational techniques that a watercolorist should work toward having just sort of as a baseline starting point? I keep talking about story. And sometimes I guess I need to identify what is, what do you think about it? What's your relationship with it? Because if you do not know, if you do not have an idea, if you don't know, oh, you're trying to do, oh, I'm going to match. Oh, yeah, that color, it's yellow. That color, like you were just trying to match what you, your reference or what is in front of you. And it's the same way, like if again, you give a car key and say, hey, you know, it's a full tank of gas, go wherever you want to go. And you don't know, have any idea, you just keep driving. And before you know it, your tank of gas is done. Right? But you say, oh, you know what? I want to go to the coast or I want to go up to the mountain. Like, oh, I need to plan that. And that, that will drive everything. So you do not have to come up with this elaborate storyline. It's just ask yourself to identify what is it? Why do you want to paint that? Why do you want to share with your audience? What is so special about that sunset or that snowy mountain or that apple in front of you? Ask that question. Like, are you allergic to apple or you like the crunchiness of the apple? What do you like about that? And then once you do that, then your choice of color, your choice, your composition, all those things will, it's, it's very easy. What I hear you saying is that helps you focus your curiosity too. So like as a painter, I can say, I'm going to paint this apple. It's going to be crunchy. I love crunchy red apples. So it's going to be super saturated. Okay. How do I do 
super saturated or okay it's going to be crunchy so it's going to be hard edged okay in watercolor how do i do hard edge it points you toward the things you can figure out how to do then right <laughs> we're gonna follow up with the crunchy apple right so you're thinking like okay well i love apple like okay i'm gonna saturate this thing really bright red so i can see and then oh how do I make it look like it? Oh, maybe I can use some highlights. I'm going to make it sharp. So I'm going to use some masking fluid. Make sure I, I don't touch the, the highlight. It's super, super sharp. So we could feel like it's this glass looking skin that when I bite into it, the juice is going to fly all, all over, right? So these are the things that you could imagine. Oh, so I need to go with a color scheme. Okay, what about the composition? Do I want it to be mostly in the high key or low key or mid key? These are the things that you can do to tell that story. Again, it's just an apple. But once you identify what you think about it, it automatically fill in the gap. But if you don't know, I guarantee you, you are just trying to match. Oh, I see a highlight over there. I see that color. Oh, yeah, that's a red. You, you put red. But knowing that, that will drive everything. You do not need to uh, have this super understanding of things that are very complicated. It's just ask yourself some questions. And when you ask, some of the things will come out. You will be able to make decision that is telling your story because you will never be as good as a camera. If that's the case, why do I just take a photo? It's right there. But as an artist, we have to be able to tell a story. What we put into the canvas or that piece of paper is just as important what you leave out. You want to connect with your audience. Therefore, you don't show them everything. You, you show them just enough so that they can bring in their experience to your painting. I think that's how you connect with your audience. If you show them everything, spend all your time rendering everything, at some point, your audience is going to feel like, hmm, I feel bad for him or her that spent all that time trying to get every speck of the, like, what's the point? You don't think I could see? I see a little bit. I, it's that you're implying something and therefore they bring in their experience. They look at the apple, they look at the texture, they look at the highlights. Oh, you know what? I've seen something like that. I can do that. I don't need you to tell me everything. So it's about what you put in is just as important of what you leave out. Well, I was going to ask, like, it's scary to leave things out. So some people love painting photorealism. I'm not talking about that. But I feel like as a beginner, there's some comfort in being like, oh, well, I put in all the details because I really want people to make sure they know what it is. It's kind of scary to leave stuff out. Yes, just like everything else. In the beginning, like you may go too far and you know it, but do consider this idea do a couple of painting, go in, all in, you know, hey, if you spend one week just on one apple, go for it, have a ball, right? And then do another version instead of a week just to make it two days and then come back and then maybe one day and then do one with maybe like two hours and then do one with five minutes. So this way you'll see like, oh, you know what? I really don't need to spend two weeks on that. I think that's a little too extreme. And so this way you'll know. And again, trial and error, like some people, everybody's style is different. Everybody's interpretation is different. And I think ultimately, all of us are unique individual. And I'm not going to say like, oh, so-and-so is more talented. Like, I don't believe, oh, so-and-so is talented. I think it's more like they are passionate about something and they spend a lot of time and therefore they get good at it. If we are passionate enough, 
we have the skill to be able to do something over time we keep doing that and then we do and then we get better and better and then the word talent would become blur blur like it's just matter of if you're passionate about something you would do it even nobody pays you you still do it and then you get so good at it and then some suddenly you become this talented artist so i encourage my student let's forget that don't ask if you have talent or not just ask yourself are you passionate about it do you want this how much do you want that if you are passionate enough i will show you a way how to paint and there are ways so you can break everything down so anybody can do it if they want to so if someone came to you and said i want to get really good at painting what advice do you give them carry a sketchbook do a lot of drawing enjoy the process drawing learn to see shapes color because the eye hand coordination takes a lot of time it takes a lot of practice so if you drawing you look at the shapes and then you able to translate that i guess ultimately it's just a lot of practice and practice does not mean that you have to paint all the time you could draw because drawing requires you to think about shapes and size relationship darks and lights and those things will over time it, it takes time for you to get that i had coordination it's just takes years of building when you look at something you can identify that when you identify that you can be able to to draw it out on a sheet of paper and those are the things that takes time so if you continue to practice and you know you don't need to go to a drawing class you could just sit waiting for some doctor's appointment and start drawing and and over time those things will come together without even you knowing it and and oftentimes i i told my students if you keep a sketchbook you keep drawing it and by the time you're done finish you're complete from the beginning to the end you look at the first drawing and look at the last drawing if you do not see any improvement at all i welcome you to send me your sketchbook and i will buy you a new one and i'm offering to your uh, your listeners well to if you guys want to take on that challenge let me know well we're at time we've covered a lot is there anything before i do the close is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had? But I do want to encourage your listener that it is much more important that you enjoy the process of painting. I know sometimes it can be frustrating that you don't get what you want and sometimes it's frustrating to like oh this painting is not turning out the way I want to. That's okay. But you need to enjoy that process of creating making mistakes the painting will come later it takes time but if you turn it the other way if you turn in every painting you do is a master but you're so stressed you're not having fun anymore but you do a masterpiece but at some point you're going to stop painting because it's just so taxing on you like i don't want to do this anymore this is no fun so i really want you uh, all my students to have a good time and enjoy the enjoy making a mess that will encourage you to do more and then the more you do you're going to get better and better and more practice you will I guarantee you'll get better and better so uh, just don't worry about result enjoy the process of creating you can learn more about yang hong jong including his workshops at his website www.yanghongjong that's z h o n g and on instagram facebook and youtube and I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Young. Thank you for having me. Enjoy painting, everybody. We're finished with the main episode, but there's more great conversation with Young Hong Jong at patreon.com/learntopaintpodcast. 
Sign up at any tier and you'll get immediate access to Zhang's bonus conversation where you'll discover the yellow, red, and blue Zhang suggests for a limited palette and ideas for where to focus if you feel like you don't yet have a strong sense of color. Plus, you'll have access to over 20 additional bonus conversations with guests, all for the price of coffee plus tip. For show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 71. Thank you to everyone over in the podcast art club. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Catherine Ordway, Pam Lyle, Victoria Young, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting!